And now hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church family. Hope you're doing well today. You guys are looking beautiful as usual. What a good and beautiful day, a good day to be together in the house of the Lord. What a joy it is to worship together. I love worshiping together with all of you Sunday mornings in this place together. What a joy, what a privilege, what an honor it is that we get to gather as the body of Christ to be family together, to, to weep together. Now I know it's hard, it's hard leaving, having the Sussmans leave. I still remember Nadia holding her as a little, little baby, not thinking she's, she's leaving, it's making my heart. Um, I've, I've gotten sappy as I've gotten older. Like I cry really easily now. Like Gina once caught me watching flash mob uh, wedding proposals and I was weeping on YouTube. It's sad. I don't know what's happened to me. I actually intentionally, I was watching videos on YouTube the other day about like, like things that make you cry or try not to cry video moments. And I'm like, it was just literally tears were coming down. I don't know how that's happened to me. So I've gotten softer as I've gotten older. And this is one of those moments where my heart it's one of those weird emotions. I feel troubled, and not troubled, more sorrowful that we're losing such a wonderful family. I just need to have joyful, excited at what God's gonna do through them in Southeast Asia. And that's one of the beautiful things about being family together because you're gonna have tough moments where we lose family members 
overseas or new jobs or just whatever it may be. You're going to lose people you've actually spent time to get connected with. But can I tell you something? It's better to feel that sorrow but to never have actually known the joy of having that relationship. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's so much better that we get to at least in that soul remember the goodness of God in the past six years we had together. So I know it's hard to lose. And some of you guys have lost a lot. But this is my caveat to say it's still worth it. Seek out relationship. Seek out community. Put yourself out there. Yes, you may lose. And yes, it may be hard. Yes, it may hurt. But it's good. Do you hear me? All right, that's my little tidbit on that. Today we're finishing our last sermon in a series in the book of Galatians. Next week we're starting a quick little mini-series on the kind of the mission, the values, kind of who we are as a church kind of based in the gospel. So next week, Pastor Dave is going to come in and he's going to talk about what does the gospel mean on a, like a big scale level? Not just the gospel in the four books of the Bible, but the gospel on a large scale level. And then I'm going to preach the week after on what does that mean for the gospel? How does that compel us? What's that, how's that, what does it make our vision look like? Our vision to, to reach the nation, to reach the area, and then reach the nations. So we're going to kind of talk about what is our vision here at Waypoint Church? What's our mission? And then next week after that, Pastor Eric is going to preach on what does that look like practically? How do we live that out in gospel community? So the next three weeks, we're going to be kind of diving into a little mini-series on who are we, what are we about, what's our mission, why do we gather? Do we gather because, you know, we want to feel good about ourselves and listen to some good music? I thought the music is pretty good. The band is awesome. Or I think you guys are pretty awesome. I like sitting next to you guys. Or is there a bigger purpose for mission? And I hope you guys, if you're here today, you know that there's a bigger purpose for mission to us. So we're going to talk about that in the next three weeks and dive into that. After that, starting September 11th, we're going to start a brand new series on the Old Testament narrative histories, starting with the book of Samuel. So be excited, whole long series on the Old Testament narrative histories. Yay. Right? No? It'll be exciting. It'll be fun. Guys, at Waypoint Church, if you're not aware, we love to go back and forth in the Old Testament and New Testament, because we believe in the whole council of scripture. So we might be in the, in the letters right now, we might be in Galatians, but next week, that's why we're going into the history. So we're going into Samuel. So you're going to learn a little bit about Samuel. That's where you'll hear a little bit about the guy named David. And if you ever ask any uh, Sunday school or um, children's church um, kid that ever goes to children's church, I don't know where they go to. If you ask them, what did you learn about today? They'll learn about David and Goliath. You're like, no, no, we talked about Jesus healing people, David and Goliath. <laughs> Typically all they ever remember. So we're excited. God's got some incredible things in store. I hope you are excited about where God's taking us as a church. We're going to wrap up Galatians today. And then today, I hope you see Paul's intent. Hope you've got in this whole series that we've been in the book of Galatians. I hope you've seen Paul's message, his heart's desire for you to receive this. See, we know that this letter to the churches in Galatia is Paul's response to what he heard has been going on. He's heard that the people whom he loves, his church that he helped start, is giving in to false teaching. They're giving in to this idea of, of they needing more than just Jesus. This idea that they need to, to be a believer, yes, but they also need to become Jewish, they need to become circumcised, they need to follow Jewish customs, traditions, and law. And he's saying that's false teaching. He's trying to restore them. He's trying to teach them fundamental truths. And we've seen these truths expressed so far in our series. At the end of the letter now, 
He's leaving his people with two choices. He's saying, guys, will you live now that you're free? You're free from all these things these false teachers are telling you. Will you now live either by the spirit or by the flesh? Christ has purchased freedom for us. You are free people. Today, Paul's wrapping up that idea, this idea of what freedom really looks like in Christ. What life in Christ looks like. And it's almost like he's giving us a new law. A new law to live by. Pastor Danny and I were speaking the other day, and he was telling me about, you know how sometimes people think the Old Testament's all about law, right? Law, 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 rules, do's and don'ts. And the New Testament's all about grace. You know, it's all about love. It's all about grace. While the Old Testament's to do this and don't do that, the New Testament is just feelings. But actuality, Danny said, there's actually more commandments in the New Testament than there are in the Old Testament. In the law. In the law. When we see about law, that's the Pentateuch, the first five. I love days back days. You're like, Lawrence, that's not what I said. <laughs> There's actually much more do's and don'ts in the New Testament than there is in the law, of the Old Te- in that part of the Old Testament. So it's actually quite interesting. Here in Galatians, Paul says this in chapter 6, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. What does that mean? The law. I thought we were set free from the law. What does that that mean? And what it means is to live the life that Christ would live. It means to be Christ-like. To say that this is the idea, this is what free life is, this is what love is, this is what we're we're called to live in, called to look like. It creates a system of laws, not laws earning our salvation, but a system of what it looks like, a way of describing what it is. It's like a law of nature, right? A law of nature, is this is what nature happens in nature, a law of nature like motion or cause and effect or attributes of nature. That's something that makes up nature. Does that make sense? So what we're talking about when we see the law of Christ, that's something that makes up who Christ is. It's something that is an attribute of who he is. And so when we talk about the law of Christ, it's the attributes of Christ. This is the law of Christ. This is what it means to be Christ-like. So in this passage, Paul lists six elements of what it looks like to look like Christ, to live in the law of Christ, to resemble Christ, to live like Jesus. So that's what we're going to do really quickly is I want us to dive into what are these six elements of this law of Christ? What does that look like? What are these six elements? And number one, you see in verse one, it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So number one, we're called to gently restore. Did you hear that? We're called to gently restore. What does that mean? It's the idea of restoring, it's this idea to, to reconcile or to bring back. To bring it back to where it's supposed to be, and this idea, that's what restoration is. And the idea of gently means to do it lovingly and with grace. To do it in a heartfelt manner. My people, we're supposed to be in right relation with God and right relationship with people. And in the body together for the purposes of God. So what it means to gently restore is when you see somebody walking away, when you see somebody walking the wrong way, you see a sheep that's wandering, you're gonna call it back. Call it back into the fold, call it back into the family. Call it to be restored, to be reconciled. Be back to the way it's supposed to be. I have a friend of mine who restores old furniture. You guys know what I'm talking about? They, they look at a dresser, and all I see is like an old dresser that needs to be thrown away. And they're like, oh, I see this beautiful thing that can sell for thousands of dollars. I don't know how they do that, but they can. And what it takes to gently restore something, bring it forth like that, is to see a vision for what that could be, and then spend the time to restore it gently and lovingly. Because it's what we're called to do. 
We're called to look at each other and the ones who are entrapped in sin, the ones who are struggling, the ones who are walking away, and look at them and see what they could be, the beauty that could be theirs, and to gently, lovingly restore them to it. Does that make sense? Do you guys, do you guys hear what I'm saying here? Because it talks initially that we need to first have vision for what that person could be. Guys, can I tell you something right now? We're very quick to write off people. Because it's easier. Well, that person made a really bad decision. Oh, we're done. But we're all capable of making bad decisions, aren't we? We need to see the vision of what they could be. We need to perceive the beauty of what they may be called to. And it's hard work. And sometimes being gentle, sometimes still resolves, sometimes restoring furniture still takes sandpaper. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it needs to be abrasive, it needs to be tough, but it's still gently restoring and loving. 1 Corinthians 4.21 says this, what do you prefer? Should I come to you with a rod of discipline or should I come with a loving and gentle spirit? My people, we're supposed to gently and lovingly restore one another. Now don't get me wrong, there are times when we need to come with a rod of discipline. But generally speaking, we're called to gently, graciously, lovingly, and with humility restore one another. We need to be able to look at each other and say, I'm not letting you go. But let me also flip this around. Some of you need to be restored. Do you hear me? Some of you are at a place where you need somebody to gently come to you and you need to be humble enough to say, you're right, I've gone away. I've fallen away from my first love. I've made decisions that I shouldn't have made. I've betrayed my family and my heart and my faith. I've betrayed my God. Will you help restore me? You need to be humble enough to let the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the followers of Jesus restore you in the body. Does that make sense? My people, if you're here today and that's you, I want you to know that we have grace for you. Not because we're grace people, but because Jesus is so full of grace for us that we need to overflow that grace to you. So we want to restore you. We want to bring you back. We want to have the heart of our prodigal father. We want to run to you and put our robe around you and our ring on your finger. We're called to gently restore. That's the law of Christ. Gently restore too. Living a life of Christ and living the law of Christ is to bear one another's burdens. Romans chapter 15 verse 1 says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. If you're living the law of Christ, you're bearing one another's burdens. You're helping each other carry the Lord, the load. That's what it means to be a part of the church. That's what it means to be a part of the body. You're not meant to do this Christian life alone. You're not meant to live out Christian maturity by yourself. You're meant to do it as a group project. Is that an individual assignment? You know, this idea of if I'm lifting a heavy box, if I'm lifting a heavy dresser, and I'm struggling, I'm lifting it, I'm carrying it, if somebody came up to me and was like, yo, yo, let me help you out, and they carry it with me, guys, you know how relieved I feel? Like, oh, thank you so much. You took some of the weight and now we can lift it together. And it's so much easier. It's so much nicer. Guys, let me tell you this. We're called to bear one another's burdens. Now, sometimes it's not easy, once again. Sometimes you'll realize that if I'm lifting this burden, you come close to me, that I might smell. Just saying. There's a chance that I might be sweating already. This burden's been heavy. I've been carrying it a long time. It's, it's, it's heavy, and it's not easy. But you're still called to bear one another's burdens. 
Sometimes it's a heavy load. And we're not used to lifting those kinds of heavy loads, but we're called to bear one of those burdens, to care for each other. Those who are strong are helping those who are weaker. But guys, here's the implicit thing here, that sometimes you're going to be the weaker one, and sometimes you're going to be the stronger one. Does that make sense? There are times when you're able to carry more so you can help other people, and there are times when you need to just stop and say, will somebody help me? There have been seasons in my life where I thank God that he's placed other people to carry the burden with me. And there are seasons in my life where I thank God that I was able to help others as well. We're called to carry each other's burdens. Guys, can I just say this on a very practical level? That's not just walking up to somebody and saying, oh, you're really struggling? Um, Okay, I'll pray for you and walk away. Do you guys hear me? I had a friend of mine who once shared a message and she was telling me how she was talking to somebody and they were sharing, and before they started sharing, she goes, hey, I know you're gonna say you're gonna pray for me, but are you really gonna pray for me or are you just gonna say that? Because I don't wanna waste my time telling you about what's going on if you're not really gonna pray for me. And I was like, ooh, that hurts. <laughs> Guys, can I tell you, I'm not diminishing praying for somebody. Please hear me there. If you're praying for me, it's huge, and I love it. And by the way, for those of you who are praying for the church, those who pray this morning, Sunday morning before the, for the worship service, thank you. That means so much, you're carrying the load with us. But can I tell you something? Carrying the load is not just occasionally being like, hey, is it going all right? Oh, okay, and walking away. Carrying the load sometimes means you actually get dirty. It's sometimes actually heavy. Sometimes it's actually gonna be hard for you. And here's the problem in our society and often in our culture is we don't like doing things that are hard for us. Am I right? It might inconvenience you. Carrying something else. You might get phone calls in the middle of the night. You might have to do something you don't want to do. You might have to sacrifice financially. You might have to go sacrifice a round of golf to go do something. Do you hear what I'm saying? But guys, to bear one, another, bear one another's loads is to live the law of Christ. That's what we're called to do. That's what the body is here for. But can I tell you also something? The only way to truly help others well is that you first choose to cast your burdens on Jesus. Because what that means is when you're carrying your own things so heavy, it's hard to help others. But if you cast your own burdens upon Jesus, then you're more free and able to help others carry their load. That's what the body is here for. And there are seasons in your life where you need more help than others. And that is okay. Do you hear me? It is okay if you're in a season of your life where you're just like, I just need more help. Please do not limit the church or limit what God can do. Please do not deprive the church of being helping you carry your burden. It is our joy to live out the law of Christ. So if you're in this place and you need more help with your burden, please let the church know. Amen? That's what the body is here for. Let somebody know. But I love how right after this it says three, we're to test oneself. Number three, we're to test oneself. Where it says that each one should test their own actions that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Galatians 6.4. I love how this is a part of the law of Christ. You see, so far, gently restoring, bear another one of the burdens, but it says in the midst of that, don't forget, check your heart. Test yourself. Ask yourself, what are you doing this for? 
Why am I walking in this way? Am I evidencing the fruits of the Spirit? Because guys, can I tell you something? We need to constantly be looking at our own hearts because our hearts are little idol factories. We make idols of everything. We let ourselves be led astray, often so often by good intentions and good deeds. We'll often let ourselves astray. Even by our own hearts. We need to test ourselves. Romans 12, 3 says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. That's something hard to do when you're helping carry another person's burdens. When you're helping other people, it's easy to think, okay, I'm helping this guy out. Look how good I am. Am I right? When you're helping other people, it's like, well, I've made good decisions. He's made poor decisions. Look how good I am, so I'll be the good person, help this person out. But in reality, I'm just doing it because I'm an awesome person. Am I right? Now, you head with me because I don't want to be the only one that feels this way because this is my sin only. You test yourself and realize, but by the grace of God. Test yourself and realize, but by, I love that phrase, by the way, but by the grace of God. That's a phrase that I say myself all the time to my own heart. It's a phrase that I think we need to often say is that we should say, but by the grace, that could be me. But by the grace of God, I could be the one making all those poor decisions. But by the grace of God, I should be the one actually suffering the consequences of all the poor decisions I've already made that I don't suffer from. But by the grace of God, I have what I have. I am where I'm at. Not because I'm so good, not because I'm so smart, not because I'm so special, but by the grace of God alone. Can I tell you, my people... We are so prone to think ourselves so much better than we are. At the same time, we're prone to love ourselves less than we should. It's a weird combination, isn't it? I I don't know why that's the way we are, but that's just the way we are as human beings. My people, but by the grace of God. It's so easy when you're helping others, when you're bearing others' burdens, it's so easy to think of yourself as better. Can I tell you something? You're not. You're human just like everybody else's. Which leads us to number four, we're called to carry our own load. Verse five, each one should carry their own load. We're supposed to pay attention to what we're called to do in the body. It just I love this whole body illustration, this whole idea is that we're called to live according to the body. We're a part of the body of Christ. That's who we are. Once again, not alone, not a lone ranger Christian. You're part of the body of Christ. And we're supposed to carry our own load. I love the New Living Translation for these verses. This is what it says. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. You carry your own load. Do the part of the body that you're supposed to do. Now mind you, some of you guys might read this passage of carry your own load. And this means i got to do my part. I've got to work hard. I'm going to do my thing and my thing alone. And that's all that matters. That's not what Paul's trying to say here. Paul is saying carry your own load in the way that means be faithful and not comparing. Be faithful and not comparing. In other words, he's calling you to a life of faithfulness and not comparison. Does that make sense? Do your own part mean not just do a good job or be self-sufficient. Do your own part means, guys, be called to do what God's called you to do and don't compare what God's called you to do with what God's called somebody else to do. Does that make sense? That's what it means you live in the Christ, the body of Christ. If God calls you to be the eye that sees, then be the eye that sees. 
If he calls you to be the, the, the knee that bends or, or the wrist that does this. I don't know what a wrist does, but it does this. Or the shoulder that does this rotational thing. If he calls you to do that, don't compare yourself to the, the neck or the nose. I love using random body parts because it's more fun that way. Instead of the usual nose. Everybody uses nose and mouth, but it's more fun when you use neck and ankle. Carry your own load isn't just about, hey, do your own individualistic way of getting things done. It's about being faithful and not comparing. Being faithful to who he's called you to be and not worrying about who he's called that person to be. Carry your own load means be content and satisfied and joyful in the way God's made you and what he's called you to do. Some of you he's called maybe to be a Billy Graham. To preach to thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. Some of you have called you to be faithful childcare worker. Some of you have called you, like I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, to have the faith of Betty. To be faithful in service for 30 years after she's retired. Some of you he's called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to go to Southeast Asia. Whatever it may be, he's called you, gifted you to carry your own load, but not to compare what you're doing with somebody else. You following along so far? Do you see the beautiful law of Christ here? It goes into verse 5. He calls us to reap and sow. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Reap and sow. It's a farming, agrarian illustration that people at that time would definitely get. And maybe some of you guys don't get this. I hope you get this. It's this idea that, guys, what you put into the ground is what you're going to get out. Does that make sense? If I plant, I can't think of a seed right now off the top of my head, um, a tomato seed, I'm not going to get a watermelon. You with me so far? Right? If I plant... A fig tree, do you guys plant fig trees? I actually have a fig tree in my house, just to let you know. I do. We don't have any figs. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gina and I are not the most, um, we don't have green thumbs. What color thumbs do we have? <laughs> we, we, we have thumbs that kill the plants, but, but we do have a fig tree. But if I plant a fig, I'm not gonna get an apple. Are you with me? When I was growing up, my mom would always say, you know, what kind of animal would a, would a, would a dog have if you gave birth to a, a, I'm like, a puppy? See, you give birth to a dog, right? You can't expect a, a dog to give birth to a cat, right? This is the idea is you reap what you sow, right? And now here's the thing about this. This is a true concept. You see it over again in, in life and in, in culture and in, in, in your experience. Anecdotally, you see this to be true. At the same time, it's true, but not always true. Does that make sense? This is a true statement, but it's not always the true statement. There are exceptions. Job 4.8 says, as I've observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. So yes, it's true, but actually in Job, he also talks about, I didn't do anything. Why am I receiving evil? Right? He didn't sow evil, but he reaped evil. Right? So there's this idea that, yes, it's true, but there are also times where the wicked will prosper and succeed. As a matter of fact, those of you guys in this world, you probably see it happen a lot. The wicked do prosper and succeed. There are times when this happens. So these are true statements, but I want you to understand that always true. But generally speaking, especially spiritually, 
especially our lives as a community group, our lives living in Christ, typically what we sow, we will reap. What it means, guys, is that if we sow out of the Spirit, if we do the things of God, when we do the things that make us grow closer to one another and to God, to humble our hearts, guys, we're going to reap good things in the Spirit. It will produce the fruits of the Spirit. But if we sow out of the flesh, the Scripture says, guys, this is a powerful word. The Scripture says it leads to destruction. Guys, can I tell you, if you put forth the effort to build community, to build intimacy, to know God, to seek the things of him, to serve him, to love him, I'm not saying that you're going to win a million dollars. I'm not saying everything in life is going to be easy and peachy keen. I just said peachy keen. I don't know why I said peachy keen. It's not in my notes. Doesn't mean that everything's going to go right for you. But it does mean, and I promise you this, that you'll reap more of him. And it's good. And he's worth it. But if you sow out of the flesh, when you give it to the lustful desires of the flesh, addictions and temptations, sin and lust, debauchery, sexual immorality, you see it happen in life, don't you? You reap it. You reap it. It comes back. I was speaking with Ben Uthi the other day, and he mentioned that he, when he was working with college students, he's working with discipling college students and believers, some of them would come up to him and say, you know, I just feel so far away from God and not close to him or not close to the community. And Ben would then say, well, have you spent time with God? Have you read, read his word? Have you prayed? Have you attended service, served, been in small group, etc.?" They would sheepishly respond, no. <laughs> My people, we often... We reap what we sow. Let me just ask an honest question. Do you feel far from the church or from God and from community? Do you feel lacking in your knowledge of God? Then sow into the things of God. Sow into the work of God. Spend time with God. Dive into his word. Invest in community. Serve. And maybe you will then see a reaping in the spirit. Does that make sense? You guys with me so far on this? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will, also, will reap also sparingly. And whosoever sows generously will reap generously. Sow out of the Spirit and see how you will reap the fruits of the Spirit. Now, mind you, here's what you're reaping. Once again, it's not reaping an abundance of blessing. Like You're not going to get jewelry or you're not going to necessarily get like, you know, all these things like that. What you will reap is patience. Kindness, that's good. Long-suffering and love and gentleness. Do you guys hear that? Reap, sow the things of the Spirit and reap the fruits of the Spirit. And last six, do good to others. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do good to others. Do good to everyone. What does it mean, do good? Live a life of love. Live a life of Christ to others. Do good things, righteous things. Live a life of righteousness. And how do we know what good things are? How do we know what's good? How do we know what a life of righteousness is? Well, first of all, we look at our ultimate example. We look to Jesus. How did Jesus live? What did he do? How did he serve? What was he about? 
And we can look to him and we see how, what he modeled. And then we look to the letters, we look to the scripture, we look to the, all, the whole text of scripture and we see what goodness and righteousness looks like. It looks like knowing God, loving God and loving people. Living with purpose the way God's called you to live. Bearing one another's burdens, gently restoring, testing oneself, carrying your own load, reaping and sowing in the spirit. That's what it looks like to do good. This is the wrap up of the law. Do good. I love how Jesus wraps up the law. He says, love God and love people. Right? That's how he kind of wraps up the law. He says, what is, what is the sum of the law? He says, love God and love people. Paul similarly saying, what does the law of Christ wrap it up? And he says, just do good. Live like Christ to everyone. Love God, love people, do good to everyone, yourself included, God first. Do good to everyone. I love how it especially says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Guys, do good to your brothers and sisters. Do good to your family. Believe the best of them. Show them grace and mercy. Show the world that we have something different by the way we love one another, show grace to one another, live in community with one another. This doesn't negate doing good to the outside world, but guys, let the world see that we have something different. I always say this, the church, the local church has a twofold purpose. Number one is we're supposed to be the coming attraction, the preview of the kingdom of God. So when you watch a trailer, you're like, oh man, I gotta watch that movie, right? For those of you guys this will date me again, but I'll just say it. The most excited I've ever been for a movie is when the first Star Wars, the, the, not the first trilogy, but the second trilogy, when I saw a preview for that, I was beyond excited. We're saying, are you kidding me? Lucas is making another trilogy? I saw a preview for that. I heard the sound. I heard the lightsaber turning on. I'm like, that trailer made me just go, I will do anything. I'll pay any kind of money. I need to watch that movie. The movie wasn't as good as a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Very disappointed. <laughs> but the trailer made me say, I gotta watch that movie. Guys, here's what we're supposed to do. As the body of Christ, the way we love each other, the way we live out the law of Christ, as we do good to each other, that's gonna, that should make the rest of the world say, I need to watch that movie. I need to be part of that kingdom. Do you see what I'm saying? And this one is better than the Star Wars movie. This is a good kingdom. And the reality is even better than what we show it to be. Do you hear me? Do good to one another, especially to the believers, to the family you're called to do life with. Guys, can I tell you this? I've seen a lot of churches struggle, fight, split, argue over silly, silly things. If we really did good to one another, believe the best in each other, had grace and mercy for each other, called each other out, held each other responsible, restored each other gently. Oh man, what would we show people? What a different place we would show people. Maybe we showed actual, accurate glimpse of the kingdom. And maybe they would fall in love with what that is and know Jesus. Verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. I love the all caps there. Why in the world is that there? Anybody ask that question to yourself? Anybody? I did. Normally I wouldn't take the time to actually like, dive into that. I'd let you guys read some commentary or put an article on the realm. But I want to share this with you guys really quickly. 
Typically, scholars have said that most letters written at this time was often dictated to a secretary. So for example, I would be dictating to somebody, maybe a Sharon, and I'd be like, Sharon, write what I say. So she'd be writing out what I said, and you know, she'd write it out this letter. So it's typically what most people did, very neat, professional handwriting. Especially with me, in my case, that'd be very important. They would dictate what the writer said, right? But at the very end, at the conclusion, the author would typically then write the little short conclusion in his own handwriting to show the authenticity of the rest of the letter. Does that make sense? So the conclusion would then be taken over and be written by the actual person who's speaking so that they show the authenticity of the letter. This conclusion, as Paul says, he actually says it, I'm gonna switch over from dictation to writing with my own hand because actually these letters were read out loud. His letters were meant to be read out loud to the churches. So they couldn't, if they're just hearing it read, they wouldn't know that the handwriting was different. Do you see what I'm saying? So he actually wanted it read out loud. Hey, see such large letters that I'm writing with, so that Paul took over the writing here. Is that with, you guys with me so far? But he's bringing attention to it. He's saying, guys, I'm writing with large letters. This is my own hand. And he's wrapping up basically his whole message to the Galatians. He's saying, this is so important, guys. I want you to get this. Don't miss this. This is a quick version, a condensed version. If you miss anything else, just don't miss this closing, this wrap-up I have for you. He's saying, guys, it's not about what you do in the flesh. It's not about being circumcised, about keeping the law. It's never about boasting in how good you are or what family you come from or how much money you have. It's about boasting in the cross of Christ to which the world is crucified to him. Paul is saying it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It just means nothing. What counts is being a new creation. What counts is the work of Jesus Christ. What counts is that you are a new creation in Jesus through the cross so that you can only boast in what Jesus did. My people, what Paul is saying is the book of Galatians is saying that it's not about what works you've done. It's about what tradition you follow. It's not about the law that you think you follow. It's not about how good you think you are. It's about how hard you work or how hard you tried or how good your intentions are. What's important, what's all important is that you're being made a new creation through the work of Jesus. It's the good news about a God who pursues you, who saw what we needed at the right time, sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin, to take sin and wrath in our stead, to conquer death, to be resurrected, and to be a part of a new body that's gonna shape and change and remake this world. We're a new creation, so we can only boast in the cross. Galatians has taught us this. My people, may you be confident in this, that you're more loved than you could ever imagine. And it's not because of anything you did to deserve it, so there's nothing you can do to lose it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you that it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not tradition. It's not customs. It's not law. It's not our own efforts. God, but it's only the work of Jesus who loves us, who knows us, who loves us, who calls us to purpose, and the work that he's accomplished, making us a new creation. And in so doing, he calls us to recreate this world. Thank you for that. May we now live out this law of Christ. May we live out this law of bearing one another's burdens, restoring one another, testing ourselves, 
God, may we reap and sow. May we do good to others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.